0: This is Everyday Photography, Every Day, where you get to listen in on a chat between a photographer, that's me, and a regular human. That's me. With an eye on making your pictures amazing. No technical stuff, no talk of gear or software, just photography for the love of it.
1: I'm Suzanne Fritz Hansen, enthusiastic iPhone picture taker.
0: And I'm Michael Rubin, photographer, founder of Neo Modern, and Grumpy Old Man, and we're in San Francisco tonight. Welcome. Hey, Suzanne.
1: How
0: are you? I'm good. Good to see you.
1: Good to see you too. Good to hear you.
0: Yes. Yes. Can (laughs) I ask where are, where are we finding you this morning?
1: Uh, I am in my mother's painting studio so I'm surrounded by lots and lots of canvases and easels and uh test, test paints small canvases giant canvases on the walls on the floor um that's... I'm I'm surrounded by art it's kind of a lovely morning
0: that's so cool and it's um slightly apropos our conversation today because oh good I, I really you know I I mean I pinged everybody because I wanted to talk about photography and sort of the history of photography and the future of photography. Mm-hmm. I keep, I keep coming back to this thought that is, that says photography is dead, which is, you know, a little bit harsh, but I, I keep returning there because I think it's right. And so I just thought maybe we could talk about that. And you being a painting studio is good. And I asked um, our guest and friend, Ed Bateman, professor of photography, at the university of Utah, and yeah. uh, all round cool, creative dude, and,
1: and love him. Just his enthusiasm is contagious. So I am so excited to have him back on the show.
2: Good morning, Ed. Hello, morning. and I have to admit, I'm really tickled to see both of you again. <laughs> it's because we're so damn funny, you know. That's that what true. It, that's
0: what it must be. Um. Well, gosh, you want to, Suzanne? You want to catch up? What you What you've been doing? before we kind of ruin our day, I mean,
1: there's there's been so many lovely things. I think for me, like uh, our fall season is really busy with kind of all of these acts of creation and creating a lot of experiences with lots of different brands. And so I sort of feel like I've been flying from one big thing to the next thing to the next thing, um, and uh, which is always exciting. It's the best part of my year because I get to see everything that my teams have been doing and um, just congratulate them and be wowed by the work. So it's um, it's been a really, really lovely past probably like a month and a half of very busy times, but um really rewarding things as well. It's,
0: it's cool. All three of us have lives that are just almost every day is about creativity, about being yeah. Im- immersed in it, fueling your own creativity or, or being inspired by other people's. And so, um,
2: yeah, that's cool. That's pretty We're good. Pretty
1: lucky. <laughs> how about I, you? Ed, how I, have you been since we've spoken? Less? Oh, actually
2: really well. Although, uh, I'm a night owl, and so I've had about three hours sleep. Oh, good. Maybe. So you're your best. That's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, well, I was. I'm trying to finish a new body of work. Oh, Ooh.
1: can you tell us about it? Go yeah.
2: For well, it's probably not technically photography, what, even what? by my own definition. Is that because <laughs>
1: photography is dead?
2: <laughs> oh no. Uh, I've. I've. Uh, there's a printmaking show out of Belgium, out of Liège that I've been a part of for, for years. And I figure if I keep getting into it, they've eventually got to give me an award sometime, (laughs) even if only for longevity.
1: (laughs) Lifetime achievement.
2: And and (laughs) what (laughs) are you printing? What,
0: what, what are you making?
2: Uh, This is, this might sound kind of strange, but it's starting with old engravings. Okay. And to go kind of computer geek, you know, engravings are only one bit color in computer speak. They're only black or white, you know, ink or paper. Yeah. But I'm starting with low res preview files, you know, no more than 300 pixels high. Okay. And so by the time they're that small, you don't really see the individual lines that are, you know, carved into the metal and engraving but I'm using some software that's normally designed to upscale photographs. Uh-huh. And it tries to do it intelligently. And so it kind of adds its own textures okay. that often look very organic. So I'm kind of going from the individual lines to these really organic textures as it scales it up. So it kind of slightly abstracts it huh. yet has this fine detail of texture by the time they get, you know, like, I don't know, 20 by 24 inches size.
1: Okay, oh. so you're using the initial image that you're using. That's the preview. Um, the yeah. The 300. That's a preview of an existing engraving? Or what right, is it? Uh, right. A do?
2: famous, okay. yeah, famous historical one. Albert Durer, for example. Yeah, yeah. Gustav Dore. Okay. So,
0: I'm reminded... I'm reminded of a project that a friend of mine, Michael Hawley, did in the 80s at Lucasfilm, where he took, not an etching, but he took a classical piece of music. I think it was Bach. And he'd written a very complicated algorithm, and he fed in the Bach, and it output a completely different piece of music. Absolutely unique. You'd never heard any part Uh of it, but it was completely based mathematically on the Bach. Yeah, And so- at the time, this is like 1985. We we're discussing: Did he write the music? Did he just, you know, is it is it a, is it, it wasn't sampled from the Bach. Is it yeah. certainly derivative? So, as you talk about starting with this etching by this other artist, and then applying yourself and adding technology, and then coming up with a fully new piece of art that is your your yours, I would suggest. But to what degree? I mean, you know, it's. It's derivative or borrowed from this etching.
2: Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, an homage or, you know, often in titles, you see the word after yeah, before something yeah. means it's, you know, influenced by or based on.
0: I see a lot of etchings by um, Yuri Anderle, who um, took, he did etchings that were based on famous paintings, uh, classical oh, yeah. paintings. And then his etchings took them in a different direction. He might have them partially um skeletonized or yeah, you know he'd done, done other things but you could see the original works in the etchings at some level again it's a i mean honestly this is what i really am conflicted about and want to talk about today so yeah um can can we jump into my problem It's like oh i would love to <laughs> can we talk about my problems for a moment um sure Ruben, just, what would you like to talk about well i'm just it's there's the topic of the day is AI-generated art, right? There's all this mm-hmm. work that, whether it's Dali or Midjourney or whatever the technology, and, and we've talked about some of that stuff on the show before. Yeah, but um, it's getting to this point where it's really—I don't know—I don't know. It's getting very interesting. To me, it's an argument that's sort of redictio ad absurdum, right? once you finally get to an AI. Generated image, and and I would specifically point you at what was the work? Um, oh yeah, there is a a project that I saw called "90 uh, Miles." Have you seen that? Um, mm-hmm. And it is a work by Michael Christopher Brown, and they are these absolutely photorealistic, beautiful photos capturing the experience of Cuban Cubans coming across the 90 miles from Cuba to the United mm-hmm. States in. The, you know, in another century, you know, a couple, you know, many decades ago, where there were really no photographs. And so he's taking a real event and he's portraying it in a very realistic way. And they look like, you know, photojournalism. Yeah. But it's completely art, right? It's completely <laughs> fictionalized of a real thing it almost reminds me of washington crossing the delaware you know that painting it's it's on the verge of propaganda right it's it's been done after the fact it's been um, perfected and in a sense that's what's going on here but the metadata gets rapidly stripped off right you you don't know who did it you don't know that it's ai and suddenly it's in the the discourse of hi- the history of the world where you've got pictures of this historic event And how long before people start to not understand that this is fiction and does it matter? I mean, you could argue it doesn't matter. And, and in a sense, I want to leap all the way back to some of the earliest discussions of photography and, and, uh, Ed you are teaching a course in the history of photography right now as we
2: speak. Is that right? This is true. And I, (laughs) I I love the class. It's just, I used to hate history <laughs> I used to think history was the repository of all the worn out, used up, old ideas. Yes, mm. and, and now, and uh, I think <laughs> getting old enough to have some of my own history, <laughs> I think that's kind of what changed it. Uh, but yeah, history is, is really a, a really a dynamic and changing thing, which is a total surprise to me. So, in that, well, wait,
1: well I before a question though on that i mean i think what's what's so interesting is, with history and the most interesting history classes i've had are ones that have actually combined um combined art history with history, because I mean, photography has been around for a while, but it's not the only thing we had history before photography and paintings were actually one of the ways that it, that it absolutely was captured. And so I think it's adding a layer of storytelling and it's, I mean, in this way for 90 miles, this was, is sort of a, an undertold story in the context of, of a lot of other things. And so I think what Michael Christopher is doing is he's just bringing more attention to this. Yes, it's 100% art, but it's it's contextualizing, giving a visual of like this part of our you know storied history.
0: Okay, so let's think about photography. Um, and it's always been, it's always been subjective, right? It's like no matter how much you can pretend. It might be in this objective capture of reality through this optical device. I think it was pretty well established, certainly by the 30s, that it's not at all. that It's absolutely biased purposefully. Uh, Ed Weston in his day books in the early 30s said that photography was a willful distortion of fact. And it was part of his argument to say that photography is an art form. It's not just capturing a mechanical reproduction of this thing out there. It is. It has so much of the photographer's agenda in it right and you can choose lenses and papers and everything distorts but if that's true and it is of course um is it a continuum from the, this sort of f- documentary photography all the way through you know controlling setting up scenes all the way through retouching them to make them a little bit better all the way to you know, adding, uh, taking out elements in Photoshop to make it clearer, to using content-aware fill to replace problem areas to an AI-generated image. Like, if it's a continuum, then all of it is false and it doesn't really matter. You just, it's all art, it's all false. We don't use it for, for journalism. It's always, uh, you know, you, you accept that. or, Or you draw a line in the sand and say, unmodified things are photographs taken with an optical device of a continuous volume of time uh, somehow reflecting what quote really happened out there understanding there's bias that we know how to deconstruct a photograph and, and recognize its bias and then there's this line that says i've added or subtracted things so it's no longer about the contemporaneousness of what is in the scene i can now put that in or take that out, and suddenly that's painting. It's, it's not um, that AI and Photoshop are not technology plus photography so much as they're technology plus painting, and that I can make a photorealistic painting in many different ways, and we interpret paintings differently than we interpret photography. We understand when we're seeing a painting that it has been created. Someone's put all those things there purposefully. And while they are beautiful and they might tell stories and Washington's crossing the Delaware or 90 miles, it has to be in a fundamentally different part of our brain than how we look at, quote, photography. Does that hold water? (laughs) Is it necessary? And does it hold water? That's really my my initial thought here. And Suzanne, you had a
2: I
1: think we'll get there, but I mean, I think I need to, we need to take a step back in your comments. Okay. Um, I think one of the things that journalism is, is also biased, as much as a journalist tries to be unbiased in the reporting by the nature of the words that they choose, by the nature of the story that they're covering, what side of it that they may be able to feature, that even photojournalism is inherently, it's trying to do its best to capture, you know, the context of the situation, to give a visual that it's supporting that story. However, anything that a human do human being is doing or creating is inevitably going to have some sort of they're trying to tell a story. They're trying to convey something. And so you can't tell everything. You have to pick a line. You have to pick a narrative. Um i I so I think that there's there is no creation without bias. like there there just isn't. That doesn't exist. And so it's this spectrum of how much sort of, how much? How much effort are you putting into the more of this creation of this, you know, um, piece of art versus something? I'm trying to be as straightforward as possible. So it you're saying a-
0: it's a continuum, and that there yes. is no line that there's really no fundamental difference other than the slippery slope between an AI-generated thing or a Photoshop thing and Cartier Bresson shooting on. the I street.
1: think you've identified a very that you've identified like the complete spectrum of options. But it'd be very hard because, like, there's always going to—you could pick a line at any given point and say, "Okay, this is <laughs> this—that is right in my eyes." Um, the uh, where where this—you uh, could pick a line and say, "Okay, in this instance, this is the dividing line." But then you're going to look at another example and say, "Actually, for here, it's going to fall more uh, onto this place." So I don't think that there's a can hard... Can you? Well, that's the question. That's the opinion. question
0: because I mm-hmm. think you can potentially draw a line between a, a painting and photography. That there is, and painting doesn't mean it involves paint any more than photography involves a camera and light exactly. (laughs) Right. But
1: I want to hear what Ed has to say. I'm really curious. The photography
0: is about the contemporaneousness of the elements in the frame. And you can use change lighting and exposure and color and all those things to help you see what's there to point you that way. You know, Mm -hmm. it has bias, but somehow that it's, I think it's important that that be different from something where i add and subtract stuff to the scene and it becomes much more of a mixed media it's a it's a mixed media of of light generated objects but i've put them together and now the fact that they're together is from me Adding them as opposed to me moving around and using parallax and getting them in the frame together. That that something
1: that was actually once there.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that it's the end results may look the same. You're not just looking at the final product and saying, oh, well, that's they're effectively the same thing. I think the process and the language matters for how we interpret and understand stuff. And that I think that it's important to call a photograph a thing where all the things in the frame. To a to a degree, we're we're in that volume of time, in that space, in front of that device that someone else there also would have seen it, even if they would have seen it a little differently. But all those things were kind of there. The minute you can take out or put in things, I think it changes it. And I think burning and dodging is removing, but you can burn out something too much, and it be, and it kind of crosses the line. But you can also diminish its emphasis. And I think that it's authenticity is what we're discussing
2: with (laughs) that. Come on, come on. on. Now there's, I mean, photography just totally fascinates me and I think it will always remain mysterious because it's relationship to truth and the real is so complex. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why there's a photograph on my driver's license and passport rather than a sketch. Maybe yeah. we can agree that, <laughs> for example, because in some ways it's as close to reality as as anything I can think of. That's you know not real, but yet you know we've already acknowledged how how does how does that all work and come about. And sometimes I find that analogies can be really useful. But you know, you talk about you know taking out or adding things. I mean, simply you know post exposure cropping is a huge subtraction or deletion of elements. Of course, Absolutely, well, yeah. but just
0: the framing of your picture is the same as cropping. But still, yeah. we understand photos, of course, are excluding yeah. everything on the outside of the frame and someone has decided what I see and what I don't see. Yeah. But to suggest that that's not really any different than just Photoshopping out the stuff, I think yeah. it's problematic. I, I saw an avatar, a friend posted an avatar of herself the other day, and it was a mid-journey kind of refinement of mm-hmm. her okay? Mm-hmm. It really looks like her. It's based on a real picture. It, In a sense, it's not different than being Photoshopped. And I know that uh, that everybody wants a picture of themselves that looks good. It becomes iconic. It becomes our our brand at some level. And so we know it's not real. It's your brand icon. But I, I worry that you get into a place that says, every photo is distorted and faked at some level. So what's the difference? There's really no difference between the avatar Mm -hmm. generated by the AI and the snapshot of you on your passport. And yet there is somehow they are different. And this perfected, I'm concerned that photography for everyone, the computational photography, our cameras do and our, our entire histories are going to be this sort of idealized perfected version of everything we see. and, I do believe there's going to be a reaction to that, which is I just want to see it real. I just want wabi-sabi. Mm. I, want it to, I want to know what was happening in front of there. I don't want this perfected version of history in my life. And every time I point the camera, it takes my picture and then it refines it with every photo, every taken of Mount Rushmore to make the most perfect shot of that thing. It's like, is that
2: really what we want? Just this perfected version mm. of our lives? And I think I've got a good parallel analogy And it used to be way before any of our times that if you wanted to listen to music, you'd have to go somewhere where music was being played or get some friends together and, you know, pull out your instruments or on your own, you know, whistle, sing, play an instrument. But then we started recording our music, which initially was the group of people, you know, probably small, standing around one microphone, recording it. And then we had, you know, multi-track start to form. That was just sort of a little easier. But then we started to learn that the studio itself was a musical instrument mm-hmm. that could manipulate things. This is you know, before digital. This is just multi-track. And uh well, I guess, you know, in some ways it's like, you know, is the Beatles uh a day in the life is good vibrations any less authentic or true because you know it could only exist in that studio construction Mm -hmm. I think some people I haven't heard much but I've had one friend say that's a challenge for bands to try to uh, match the kind of sound or audio quality or performance in a live performance that they get you know in the studio I mean you know they can be similar but yeah, we still call it music. We do, but people we still,
0: still respond and say, I hate pro- do overproduced music. Like you get that argument yeah. in music too. I only like live performances. They're so real. They're yeah. so blah. And that, I think that, I mean, you can call them all music, but you also have people who really draw a line between live performance and heavily produced studio yeah. things,
2: right? And probably most of listen is, barely produced to some degree, but we still call it music.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And its I was kind of thinking about, you know, your desire. I don't think we're going to be able to break the overall label for photography. So I was thinking maybe what you really like is, you know, like Roots music, Roots photography <laughs> is, yeah. what, is what okay. you, you know. Well, that's interesting. You to. need
1: to add a term because the <laughs> one that is used so commonly has been kind of watered down that it, it applies to too many things because now actually a photo style also applies to generative art. You can say in the style of photography, whether I'm using Firefly or Midjourney, that that's how I want this to look, you know, photo well, real.
0: I, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I'm, okay. You
1: don't want I mean, a new term. You want to try to reclaim this term that may be past. Well, maybe too hard to reclaim. So
0: when we look at the history, and I was reading um, the arguments in the uh, almost exactly a hundred years ago, right now in the nineteen twenties, um, you had uh, the world of pictorialism. You had you, you had a response to you had a response to the early the the late nineteen hundreds. The The late 1800s. Well, no, you had all coming out
1: of like really hard times, and then people wanted just to see beautiful things. They wanted it
0: to be an easy. No, they wanted it to look like paintings. They felt like that photography wasn't about like the early stuff was just this mechanical reproduction, and they wanted to have their comment. They wanted to have emotional truth. It wasn't about veracity of image, and they painted on their negatives and they shot them out of focus, and, and pictorialism was was the first step to say, this is art. It's not mechanical. You have a lot of opportunity for the artist to do this thing. And photography emerged in pictorialist stuff. And then by the 30s, you had another response to that, which is that you don't have to paint it. You don't have to make it fuzzy and make it look like a painting. The photo itself has enough in its in its unadulterated form. My position, my composition, my framing, all that adds enough that you don't need to make it look like a painting. And, and that was the kind of the rise of modernism. That's what Ansel Adams and Ed Weston and all those guys were doing. Um, they weren't imitating another form. They were embracing the, the what the form itself, what cameras do. And then postmodernism happened where it was questioning whatever, everything, right? Truths. But I feel like the arguments you read about the, the role of pictorialism and modernism sound like the arguments today where they were debating whether how much modification can you do to an image and still leave it pure, right? We are discussing that now, a hundred years later, it's just become more in vogue because we have better tools for modifying it, right? But I like dividing it as painting and photography. It, it It solves a lot of problems because it's that non-contemporaneous, it's not the distortions. It's the thing about time that is my issue, I think. I don't like that I can take a picture and make it into something else other than, uh, I, you know, uh, it, I'm on thin ice here. I get it. I get it. But I, I just, it's like, you know, I, I don't want people to lose appreciation for things like Cartier-Bresson and Elliot Erwitt, where it's the magic of the juxtapositions of the real things they saw that is their art and their power. And the moment a whole world looks at photos as being malleable and it doesn't really matter whether it really happened or not, I'm perfecting it. You don't even know how to understand something like an Elliot Erwitt photograph. And Mm. so I feel like you need to understand that these current things are mixed media. They are kind of paintings and they are not what was going on in photography. Is that going to hold water?
1: I have a question for you. but Oh, go ahead, Ed. You go first. And then I have a oh, question for you.
2: And I kind of want to add to some of the historical <clears> context <throat> a little bit. It kind of depends. I mean, I don't think the earliest photographers were seeing it entirely as a mechanical medium. Uh, Fox Talbot, who wasn't an artist by training, you know, in particular that way. It's this new technology. What do we do with it? Uh, but I recently, I've been digging deep researching beyond you know anything googleable into one of the founders of photography somebody named Alphonse Eugène Hubert in my best sort of French accent <laughs> who I think maybe co was you know what instrumental in the creation of the daguerreotype and so in a text that he writes in year one of photography he even describes photographers as or refers to the, you know, in this text as the, you know, photographer-painter. I think Hmm. there was this sort of notion of an artist's point of view, an artist's perspective.
1: Interesting. And one good
2: example is, uh, you know, a camera, if you aim it up or down when looking at a building, the sides of the building kind of converge. They don't stay parallel to the sides. A tradition that was held in painting for, you know, centuries before, but he's talking about what? Taking that kind of control of the image which I know is not major but he's you know people I think in particular France we're seeing it you know really specifically but you're really right about this 100 year parallel and part of it was you know, pictorialism you know I'd pack it you know starting in the 1890s and in a lot of ways it was your reaction to the Kodak camera mm-hmm And it was like, now everybody can be a photographer with the Kodak. You push the button, we do the rest. That was their motto. And our situation now is, well, everybody has a camera in their phone. How do we artsy photographers differentiate ourselves from, you know, the masses of people?
0: Imagine, you know, Ansel Adams, um, thinking about he wants to photograph this mountain and he's got a hike through yosemite right he, there's no roads he's hiking up a mountain carrying a, a wooden tripod with a couple glass plates and he's taking a picture he's working very hard at his exposures like this is effort and i think effort is something and how would he feel if you can drive to the top of the mountain pull out your iphone push a button and apply this filter and suddenly it looks the same the pictures might even be very similar or the iphone picture is incredibly dramatic and conveys your emotion all this stuff but there's no effort anymore everyone can do it's wonderful that we've lowered the bar that everyone can do this thing but artists are always looking for the thing that's hard and that can't be readily done and this explosion of everyone having a camera phone and everyone having ai and technology to me has got to push people who are artists into doing something farther, harder, more complex. And for me, that's the discipline of the haiku, right? I, I, I have the benefit of a lot of these things, so I'm making it harder to compose the picture. It has to be done in these ways. I set these constraints. That's akin to making it more hard in the technology side where you you've got to use film you've got to develop it in a dark room you've got to carry your tripod up the mountain or it's just too easy and and so artists self differentiate they just they they want to not look like the guy with the iPhone they want it to be something else and i think that the collection of art is going to also respond where yeah that's a cool looking picture but if it just is a cool looking picture it's not enough everyone's got cool looking pictures everywhere and, and everyone can make them. So we need to raise the line.
1: I mean it so much is really in like the context of like how this was done, how this was created, the this the story of it my my question for you too is is it makes me think of like Jackson Pollock, the painter, who you know kind of created this new technique, this new way of painting, but now people will go to a museum and say, I can do that. I can totally do that. That's not art. But the context was that had never been done before. Thinking of, you know, it almost becoming this like performance element that was sort of captured in the splatter. That was, that was, he was, he was changing it. It was much more abstract. It wasn't a visual of anything that anyone could identify, but he, the way he thought about it, and the way he processed I'm like, well, this is what I want to capture. Is there any parallels to maybe the cycle of where photography is now of like it becomes that that it, that it is art because it's changing the 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 context of how this image was created
0: i'm not saying it's not art i'm not going to go that far and argue that mm. these ai things i think i've seen some of the most amazing very difficult to create ai things by many people that are brilliant ideas well executed mm-hmm. so i, I don't want to push and say oh that stuff's not art it's too easy I just want to say it's not photography. You know, I just want to say Mm -hmm. it's another art form. And at some level, the stuff that Yulesman and Maggie Taylor and Ed, that you guys all do, is uh, painting. It's photorealistic painting. um, Or, you know, or you look at like Chuck Close, which is, it's painting that looks like a photograph and Yulesman's is a photograph that actually kind of looks like a painting. You know, you've got these two edge cases. But in both cases, what I think is important, and I come back to this, is this idea of Joseph Pine's definitions of authenticity. Is it what it says it is? Is it true to itself? These are the the lines that he draws about how you look at something and whether it is authentic. Um so the Yulesmans and the you know the Yulsmans in particular don't try to be something they're not. They're they are not they they are clearly modified, manufactured for our benefit. It's more interesting when you don't you can't look at it and discern what you're seeing. It's not self-evident. The 90, the 90 miles or Ed, some of your historic stuff, it it like purports to be this historic thing. And so the fun is in that it's not exactly, you need to discover that. That's the Chuck Close. It looks like a photograph and then you get close and you realize it's a painting, right? Those those are fun places to play. But I think the definition of authenticity needs to be sewn into our understanding of photography. It used to be photographs were authentic, almost by definition. You could use them in a court of law. And I would say that they are no longer that. That's one of the reasons I yeah. would suggest photography is dead, is like it has literally lost its affect that suggests the image you're looking at is real. And real, of course, we've got quotes around, yeah. right? <laughs> but that it's an authentic volume of time seen by someone and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, I think that authenticity is has got to be part of what photography is. And if it's not then I would go forward and say, then then photography is dead. It's lost its utilitarian function. It no longer serves to show something that reflects what I'm seeing, what I saw, because I could have just as easily created this fiction. And there's no way for you to know it's not self-evident. And as much as I love the content authenticity initiative from Adobe and all the other companies, they're solving it technologically and metadata and you can verify, but photographs are rarely verified. You have the the... impact of a photograph is instantaneous. Oh my God, the thing's on fire. Oh my God, that's happening. Um, Seeing is believing. And if it's not clear um, what modifications have happened, I think that we've now changed that form. I think
2: we
1: have, I mean, Ruben, you and I have talked a lot about this over the years. And I think I have a different approach to the need to trust an image is different than what you expect. I am okay seeing an image and seeing it as a piece of art and seeing it as like, okay, that has been created. if it's if it is trying to if it's been completely altered and it's photojournalism, I think we both agree, that there's there's the line. I think what's interesting about what you're saying and what I'm hearing you say is really about photography is about time and it's about a real moment where those objects were actually in space and time at this moment. And I think for me that's like that that is the the, the best sort of synthesis of like, okay, th- yes <laughs> this is a decision tree. Yes, does that apply or no, it does not. then it is not a true photograph
0: but well, I'm it's trying mixed to, medium it's another thing it's it's correct. a it's photographic it not a true photograph
1: or whatever this term that you want to use. I, I think what I'm trying to figure out are you trying to find like a stamp or like something to be like what what do you what do you what are you trying to achieve on like okay, this is photography? Or it's, this is, uh, again, to Ed's point, is this a new word <laughs> that you need to come up with to be like, this is this is what this authentic photo means, or this is whatever?
2: Well, and I've just got to sort of jump in. I mean, we have precedents, I think, in both directions. If you remember, you know, with moving images, you know, movies, you know, we called it cinema. And when this new technology that was electronic came out, we called it video. Mm-hmm. Now it's all uh, electronic yeah. in a way. Yeah. And we don't really say, you know, digital, you know, cinema or that's not video. You know, it's just starting to all be called, you know, cinema you know, or filmmaking, you know, anymore. The media parts yeah. kind of, you know, stepped out. I mean, so there was a precedent of distinguishing it with the name. But, you know, the entire history of photography, which I know, you know, has a lot of manipulation. That, uh. Mia Feynman did that uh, exhibition and book faking it. You know, all of the faked photography, so to speak, you know, faked, I'll put in quotes, since the beginning before Photoshop ever existed. And even some of the best documentary work, uh, you know, Home of a Rebel Sharpshooter by Gardner during the Civil War. Is that fake or not? Because they maybe put in a rifle or moved the body Roger Fenton's you know Valley of the Shadow of Death they moved some cannonballs or not I mean or I mean that you, know, you know that wonderful
0: shot oh, by the kiss in in, in Paris yeah. which purported to be photojournalistic and it's a beautiful work of art but it was quite an upsetting moment when they realized he had staged it at some level, which they should have known because Duano staged all kinds of cool stuff. So, uh, you know, it does it, did it change it from being photography? And I think the problem was that it wasn't clear what it was, not the final result. And so, right? I mean, the picture's great. Yeah. yeah.
2: You know, it's I mean, only- and and, and it's that, you know, Does the problem lie in the work or does it lie, you know, in us and our expectations? Sure, sure, sure. Or
0: the picture of Iwo Jima, Rosenthal's shot of them Mm. taking that shot. He, um, they, they raised the flag and then they didn't have a good camera shot of that. And so they went back for a variety of reasons and they shot and they raised another flag and he shot the second flag raising. But people argued that he had set it up or that it had been faked in some way. And he was really arguing he had nothing. There's actually a movie video that's also shot, movie video, um, that shows that they really did it on their own. And he just caught that. And so he really did catch the moment, but it was a huge debate. He's like proving, I really saw it. It wasn't set up, right? Um, This authenticity, this veracity is important. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the language, the reason I want to, tweak our language is that it's not serving us now. If you just call it a photograph and it was done with AI or done largely with AI or partially with Photoshop, I think that it changes how you need to interpret what you're seeing. And and so I think that language on top of technology needs to be modified, that photography isn't what it was. Um, And it's another thing if you do these things. And we don't know how to parse that. I know, Suzanne, you love that it's like it's all modified. It's all in the service of beauty and emotion and communication. But I want to know what that was done. I want to know more about what led up to that image because I just don't know how to feel about what I'm seeing if that isn't entirely clear. And if the metadata is stripped off and there's no caption and photos are just on a wall, you don't have that. And it upsets me because then you're going to lose any feeling or appreciation about a whole body of work that I could go and make today. I could go AI You can get a
1: first read, but you're missing that deeper level. And that's really what you're craving when you're looking. That's what I'm hearing. It's like, you can see it at the surface and it's like, okay, interesting or cool, but it doesn't mean anything to you unless you can fully understand how this was made. And is that fair to say?
0: Well- If you look at a painting, you have a kind of reaction. You rarely freak out from a painting and say, "Oh my God, was that real?" Right? You know it was created. You know that, and it allows you to interpret all the parts you see in it more in a different way. It allows you to have a feeling. None of them might be shock. You know, if they're more abstract, it's self-evident that it's a painting. But if it's photorealistic, you you know, like Chuck Cluse, they're playing with you. That you're going to have that a little bit of that initial reaction and then you realize it's almost the two beats of a haiku it's like hey. oh my god a photo oh it's a painting okay but if you don't pay that off
2: i got a problem No, oh, i i like that oh it's a it's, it's just a painting <laughs> now one of the things i love is you know, susan sontag did this great comparisons and it shows how they're different and I don't know. I'll, I'll try and I'll try it on you. you know, what's the difference between a fake painting and a fake photograph? And I'm willing to we'll kind of dig. In. She says that a fake painting is really only messing with you know like art history. A fake when we say it's a fake painting, oh you know Rembrandt didn't paint that or something like that. But when it's a fake photograph, then it becomes reality that's getting messed with. Mm-hmm which is an interesting you know, kind of difference in some ways. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just it's- want to throw in something It might be taking a half step backwards before I get to another thing. But something I noticed in studying the history of photography, which I've actually never really seen written down, but it kind of makes sense. Uh, and you started to see it, you know, it took probably around till the... Yeah, 1880s in photography to come out. But it happens, I think, in, in every discipline. And that's, okay, you're, you're a new young, you know, photographer, artist. You're, you know, in, say, your early 20s. You're trying to enter this discipline. And there's these, uh, well, it's, it's filled with all these, you know, old guys. And usually in the past, it has been guys. These old guys that have 40 years of experience on you. 40 years of connection, 40, you know, or 20 years, you know, ahead of you. And so as a new young artist, your goal is, how do I make my place among this? Every All the cards are stacked against me. So it seems like about every generation find some way to uh, undermine the authority of their predecessors. Mm -hmm. You know, so like, and, and you'd sort of mentioned something you're talking about, Emerson, Oh, that uh, Henry Peach Robinson and those things, that's so old fashioned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so we have this kind of going all over. So you had the pictorialists, you know, as you mentioned. So this new young group, you know, the F64 people, Ansel Adams Weston. they They can't, you know, they can kind of try, but they're not going to be able to compete and win with these people who've been doing it for 20 years longer. So they changed the rules on it completely. Oh, no, no, the real, you know, the cool kids are doing this now. <laughs> and it has this continuous cycle. And like you said, uh, you know. So, so don't you, you feel do the these cool kids
0: works. today are going to look at AI and feel like, uh, like that's, like everyone can do that. That's like, I don't want to do that. I want to do something u- u- unique to me, and original, and and they're going to, rejected I feel it.
1: like that will come back. I do. I feel like it's cyclical and we're going to get so tired yeah. of these AI images that it's like, okay, you know what? This is a re- this is real. This Gross. makes. Round I know two. lots I know
0: yeah. lots of young photographers who've got, you know, pinhole cameras and and film yeah. of every type and and they want it they don't mind the artifacts of photography. They just want it to be real. You know? And uh, I think that that's nice, you know. <laughs> I think it's good, and,
2: and I think our perceptual skills go up. Mm-hmm. You know, to read photographs. Uh, you know, if you hear stories about the first King Kong movie, you know, the silent black and white about people being terrified by that. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I mean, but we look at it and think it's kind of silly. You know, I have an image uh, that dates back to nine eleven that was working in a you know a studio. Pro lab and i remember you know people there you know asking me do you think this image is real you know a person on top of but on top of the world trade centers with an airplane approaching anybody any of you now would look at that and say oh i just don't think that's yeah you know, that's not real i i, I, so I you think that. i think we've got a good reading yeah i mean i, I think saw our, yeah, our I, is, I, yeah i posted
0: a picture for you guys of this um looks like a snake in the water, a sculpture, mm-hmm. a giant snake, and someone had posted a picture of it. And there was hundreds and hundreds of comments on this Instagram post Whether people are, it's absolutely AI, that's crazy, that's faked. Even as people were saying, no, that's a real thing. That's what it looks like. And still people were arguing the validity of this. And I thought, we're in trouble. They're debating a real thing and a real photograph because it's so clean and kind of interesting looking that it it must be AI. Mm. That is the new state where you look at a picture and the presumption is that it's not real and that it's been created. And I think that that's weird. I think that that's a, a a new thing. And I would add that if you are a commercial photographer, if your job is to produce an image for someone, you're being hired, whether it's a wedding or a product or something. Um, as one of our, as one of our guests once said, it's like the professionals deliver. Like it's not about veracity; it's about meeting their clients' needs. And I would say, if you're a photographer and you are not a master of AI and Photoshop and 3D and all this other, all the tools. The the snapping of the picture and the skills involved in taking pictures is the smallest part of it going forward. And that's why I was arguing that photography is dead. If you have a client, if this is a professional thing to stick to your guns, that it must be real or something is, that is archaic. You've got to know how to use all these tools and the veracity is never part of it. You've got a client, right? Right.
1: Well, I think it's I, about our direction in that case. I mean, you're working for a client. You need to make sure you're executing that vision. You called it a wedding though. And I would say a wedding would not okay. be part of this. Well, but a wedding, <laughs> a wedding even, those clients, like-
0: even those clients want beautiful pictures of the wedding. And if there's something not right there, they want a better smile. They want their teeth whitened. They want the, the power lines out of the picture. The veracity of the moment is not their agenda. And I think that we're getting to this place that like that photography is no longer about taking a picture. It is about all of these other things. The weight has shifted to post-production. And I would argue you might not even, the ideal product shot is no longer a, a setting a product on a white table and lighting it and shooting it. It's like oh, 3D models,
2: not. it's completely I'm- something else. Right. Unless it's food, because you know there are legal <clears throat> rules about food photography. For so example. we're making up the so yeah. these
0: are hyper rules. Yeah. We have laws, legal things, we have ethics yeah.
2: of photojournalism,
0: but yeah. the photojournalistic ethics are like a religious cult. Like we need to believe that they believe in these rules and will defend them to the death. Yeah or else we aren't gonna trust their photos anymore. And just look at the National Geographic issue with moving the guys in front of the pyramid, the camels in front of the pyramid. Yeah. And it was the first time this had come up, but like National Geographic got bitch slapped and they're like, okay, no modification of images in a in this. It's gonna be about brand and it's gonna be about believing that they believe the rules Otherwise, photography is completely useless. It will all be AI generated. And the point of sticking a camera somewhere is moot.
1: Unless it's for art. <laughs> unless unless it's, and, and if it's makes, for art,
0: you already made the point that it doesn't matter what modifications they've done. So even in art, it's moot. Unless it's a, your religion, unless it's your practice. Unless it's
1: your chosen con, like con constraints to create your image. That's that right. That and everybody
0: knows that. And your brand is that you don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, You can't be a photographer who sometimes modifies stuff and then this one's not modified. Like You don't get to do that because no one will trust. It's about trust and authenticity. So either you're someone who modifies stuff to make it better or you're someone who struggles to get the best picture in the moment that you're trying to get. I don't think you can be both.
1: I, f- I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like life is that the, those hard of lines. I mean, I think you could do a series that you're like, okay, this is, this is this series is about these are these constraints for these pictures. I'm going to do another series that has different constraints. You know, I, do, I, I guess I don't have hard and fast rules on mm-hmm. an artist for their lifetime that they mm-hmm. could never experiment with different styles or different inspirate points of inspiration.
0: But there was the photojournalist who went out um, and photographed stuff and he's a legit journalist. But then he had modified some pictures, and everyone freaked out. And he's le- and all he would said was, "Those were art."
1: Well, you're giving a one-off example as a, going, "What about this?" Well, I mean, that's, instead that's of it just being a general it. rule, that's, that's the, the one we you. know
0: about in the famous example. But you, you know, Steve Curry, it was Steve Curry, and yeah. he, and you, like, I don't think that that really holds water. That you can say, "I'm generally he's a
1: photojournalist." Not an artist. I think if we're talking about artists, and this is where the this is where this I- intentional photography needs to is giving yourself a constraint on how I want to create. I think that an artist has absolute freedom to change their inspiration for a collection of work, uh, a body of work, and then to move on to something else.
2: And you use the word intentional. So in writing, there's this concept <clears throat> called the intentional fallacy. Tell us uh, what, which is. Let's see if I can describe it well. We often want to, and and in educational settings you use this idea, but you can never know the intentions of the author. You know, you can look up his biography, but you, you just don't know if that's true or not. The author may say that, oh, my intentions were this, that, you know, the other, but you can never really look into the head of the author and knowing you're getting what? a true reading on intentions. All you really can go by is the work itself. You know, you, you know, you want to say, oh, well, you know, because Dostoevsky was in Russia and this, and, you know, these historical contexts. It's, you know, they'll sometimes say it's a fallacy to trust in those things. It's the what's in the work itself is the only authentic thing. You can maybe, you know, judge it by, because otherwise, you're you're trying to do mind reading or stuff. You you know you're you're making up your own fiction to surround right. this work. Mm.
0: Well, this is a thorny thing. I I feel like I now know less than when I started. <laughs> it's like I'm yeah. more conflicted about. I want these hard lines. I don't know. Like the question my brother and friends have asked me is like, why do you want these hard lines? But I, yeah. and that is the question. And so I'm I'm left <laughs> just asking the posing these problems. But I just, as more and more fake news and augmented images end up in the, in our media, I just, I feel like it's important. We call
2: them something else, you know, I don't know. And I kind of want to know again, you know, once we hit, you know, art, Mm. sort of all bets are off, but I, Mm -hmm. you know, I keep thinking and I want to know what you think about this. The famous work, Duchamp's fountain. I mean, and part of that was okay. I'm an artist. I can call this art. He ready-made, where he found you know object. Journal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And signed it. Takes a journal, and yeah, puts it in the show. Mm-hmm. I pronounce this art is, and this came up in one of my classes a little bit. We discussed it. Can I do the same thing by saying if I'm an artist and I call it a photograph, is that enough? Do I have that authority? Because we were talking about in class, can, can a work be a still life if I simply call it a still life as an artist? Mm. I'm
0: reminded of the Instagram post. that I can't remember the artist who literally took wholesale people's Instagram posts, blew them up huge, put them on mm. the wall yeah. of a museum, called them art, was selling them. And I believe that artist won, that that was different fundamentally than the creation that they did posting it on Instagram. That his was art and theirs was, I don't know, his was a comment on what they were doing just by
2: showing it in a gallery on a wall big. And not so much just, you know, art, but also that it was within the realm of, you know, fair use for copyright. commenting on, you know, yeah. Anyway.
0: I, I'm so glad you guys could help me ruin my morning with like more questions than I can handle. (laughs) We're
1: so, I mean, I think like any good journey, Ruben, I mean, I think if you think you know where exactly it's going to go, it's not that interesting. So I think having a conversation that makes you actually question the next step is, is much more provocative. So.
0: Wow. Well, I hope, I hope people listening will chime in and uh, let us know what you're thinking, where you stand on these issues, whether you think it's important. I think it's a return to modernism. Uh, and not that all photography is, that I, I guess I represent as kind of a different group, you know, that I just feel like photography should be this thing and that I don't want Photoshop as part of it. I don't want certain types of modifications as part of it. And that's me. That's me.
2: What can I say? And Suzanne says you're on a journey. So I'll just say, I think you're mid journey on
1: this. Process. <laughs> ah, well, <laughs> well done. And, yeah.
2: and on that note, I think we should wrap it up. thanks for coming yeah thanks for letting me hang with you too you two are are fun
1: (laughs) (laughs) anytime um i will wrap it up our show is recorded and produced in reno and santa fe go to neomodern.com podcast to get show notes see photos and post comments don't forget to subscribe on whatever service you're listening to us on now and please leave reviews and
0: ratings we get new listeners from you telling your friends and spreading the word you know someone who might get something from us send them a link Thanks to Mitchell Foreman for our theme music. Ed, thank you for joining us today and all of you for hanging out. We appreciate your attention and hope we've given you some things to think about. Until next time.